Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Well, hey there, welcome to Church Online. For those of you who haven't met me before, my name is Danny. I'm the pastor here at City View. And hey, we're kicking off a brand new series. We're calling it Getting Over It. And the idea is over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some baggage that we accumulate in our life journey. Those moments, those emotions, those challenges, those insecurities that just start to build up in our life. And before we realize it, it, that baggage actually becomes an anchor that holds us back from the future. The future that God has prepared for us, the future that we've dreamed of. And so I want to talk with you for the next couple weeks about how we can get over the baggage, let go of the baggage so that we can experience the fullness that God has for us. But as we jump into it, I want to ask you, speaking of our baggage, how many of you, like when you're getting ready for a trip, you're heading on vacation, you're going to go visit some family members, how many of you pack in just like one small bag? Like it's just the essentials. There's no fluff. There's no extra. It's just you like, where's my minimalist at? Like raise your hand right where you are. Let me know where you're that you're here with me. Okay. Like I, I envy you. I am so impressed by you. Now, on the other hand, how many of you would say when I'm getting ready for a trip, it's almost as if this three-day weekend, I believe the zombie apocalypse is coming. Like I pack more stuff than I could ever imagine. Like there's so many bags. There's so many things that are happening. Like I, I, there's a toaster oven in my bag. There's there's extra clothes and shoes and, and bottles of water. There's cat food and I don't even have a cat. Like, come on, right? You You know who you are. You just pack all the things, everything. You will never be caught off guard. You got a sewing kit. You've got everything ready to go. So for me, this is this is actually something I've been working on as a human being, because I had a serious issue for years. Whenever I would pack, I would pack like I was going for weeks, for months. And it was like a a three day weekend. And I, I would pack so many pairs of underwear and I would justify it by going, well, you just never know. And I'm like, I'm having this conversation with myself. You never know what. Are, are you going to like lose the ability to be potty trained now as a 30 year old man? Like, what's what's the issue? Why do you need so many underwear? I mean, I had two shirts per day. I had extra pants. I had more socks than like anyone on the planet all packed in for a three day weekend. And it just was it was overwhelming. And my wife was the same way. And then when we started having kids, like the back of the SUV was filled where you couldn't even see out of it. And it was literally like an overnight trip. It's like, what? We have a serious issue. And it all came to a head for me several years ago. I was going on a surfing trip with a few of my friends and we're going for like four days. 
And, and I thought I was doing pretty good, okay? Like I, I packed in just like one really large luggage piece. Like it was huge, it was a big one, but it was it's just one piece. But I also had my backpack that had like, you know, my computer and stuff. And I had a snack bag too, because I mean, I'm not gonna travel without my snack bag. Like, come on now, right? You gotta have my snacks. You don't have my snacks. I need to have my snacks. And so here I, I show up with this luggage, this backpack in this bag, and, and my buddy shows up for the same exact trip with like this medium sized backpack on. I'm like, where's the rest of your bag? He's like, oh, this is, this is it. And I was so unbelievably embarrassed. I'm like, I have 18 pair of underwear in this suitcase here because we're gonna be in the water. So I probably like, what if we get out of the water and I go back in the water and then we get out and I go back. I need three pairs per day. And this joker rolls up in this, like not even a duffel bag and I was so embarrassed. And it was like, I am changing from this moment on, this is not gonna be the case. And so I worked on it and, and I've gotten so much better slowly, like half of the underwear come on a trip. Like it's just, it's, it's so much better than it was before. And, and I'm working on this. But the reality is our, our stories in life come with baggage, our lives, come with this kind of buildup of stuff that we carry with ourselves. And if we're not really intentional or aware, we're kind of like me years ago getting ready for a trip and, and we're bringing all this baggage into something that should just be really simple. But instead it's, it's coming with all of this weight. It's coming with all of this baggage. It's coming with all of this junk that really isn't necessary versus stepping into a situation light and ready and, and available to pivot and, and adjust and handle the situation without carrying all of these different emotions and insecurities and situations into every one of the scenarios that we're going into. And this is such an important thing because we all are writing a story with our lives. Like there's, there's moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, challenge to victory, beauty and ashes. They're like there's, there's such a tapestry of a, of a story that's being written with your life every single day and every single moment. And the reality is that our life stories come with baggage and they come with meaning. The reality is if, if you're watching this, I understand that not everyone's gonna believe the same way that I believe, and, and that's totally okay. I, I'm so glad that you're here. But I just happen to believe that things in your life don't happen by accident. I just happen to believe that every moment of your life, the high moments and the low moments, they are filled with purpose and they're filled with meaning. They're filled with lessons that we can learn from and yes, they're, they're filled with pain, but there's, there's healing on the other side of that pain. I just happen to believe that nothing happens by accident. But the reality is the baggage that we're carrying in our life, if it's left unchecked, if it's left unchallenged, all of a sudden we'll be carrying this, this heaviness with us into every scenario without even realizing it. And so we point our attention towards the scenario and we think it's that scenario that's causing this anxiety or this fear or the struggle within this. But the reality is it's more about the baggage we're carrying. 
like, why does this happen? Why does the baggage of our life have such a significant impact? And the reason is this, and you'll see it on the screen, because our stories shape our identity. Our stories shape our identity and, and they become the filter through which we, we view everything else in our lives. It's a huge deal. The stories that we tell ourselves are powerful. The reality is, is the difference between filtering the situations in your life through the filter of fear and anxiety versus filtering it through the, the filter of faith. It makes a significant difference in how you approach and handle those situations. Like the, the difference between believing that our past pain is who we always will be no matter what happens versus believing that there can be healing on the other side and purpose and meaning on the other side. It completely changes the trajectory of our lives. It changes the way we make decisions. And so whether we recognize it or not, the baggage that we're carrying is having a significant impact on our life. And that's why this series is so important. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be identifying some of these just high use common area luggage cases that we're bringing into our life. Things like anxiety and fear and hurt and comparison, anger, bitterness, even jealousy. Like we're gonna be talking about those things and the impact that they actually have on our lives. And so today I wanna to talk to you about the baggage of anxiety and fear. They work together, they work hand in hand. They impact us in different ways, but they, they like to live together. They're, they're like a matching set. They show up together so many times. And so to help us do this, I wanna look at one of the famous stories in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is, is a part of the Bible before Jesus showed up. And there was a guy named the prophet Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet of God. And, and that just simply meant that God used these people to, he would speak to them and then he would send that prophet to go and give this message to the whole nation of Israel. And so he was using Elijah, but Israel during this time was easily distracted and they quickly moved away from the values and the principles that God had established. And one of the things that, that messed them up time and time again was worshiping idols. And one of the idols that gained their attention over and over again, it was this constant struggle, was, was the god Baal. And Baal was known as the god of fertility and the god of rain. And what would happen, the reason why this, this god was so enticing was that because Baal was the god of fertility, it meant that there were some ritual practices that included sex as worship. There were ritual prostitution moments and, and temple prostitutes that you were able to sleep with that was, they were there for you to worship Baal. And so the enemies of Israel knew, hey, we can't challenge God, but we can distract the men with a whole bunch of sex. And guess what? It worked. Like over and over and over again, they, they turned their hearts away from God and they turned it towards Baal. And God had had enough. So he, he sends Elijah to, to King Ahab, who was married to Jezebel. Jezebel was the one who kind of brought this, this God of Baal into this tradition of, of Israel. And, and it just exploded from there in popularity. 
And so it was time for a showdown. It was enough. So in, in 1 Kings 18, starting verse 17, it says, when, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, well, then follow him like enough of this back and forth. But the people said nothing. That's important. They wanted both. They enjoyed the idea of both. But the reality is that both couldn't be there. Just like your fear and your faith can't be there at the same time. It, one has to win. And Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. This, this seems like an interesting turn. And, and maybe for those of you who have heard the story, you, you kind of miss this moment. But I want you to recognize the insecurity coming out of Elijah in this moment. He's standing before all the people of Israel and he's saying, hey, you need to choose between God and you need to choose between Baal. Like, you can't just keep going back and forth like all oh, that makes total sense. Then all of a sudden he flips the script and he says, I'm the only one left. But I mean, Baal has 450 prophets. What what does that really have to do with them choosing between God and, and Baal, Elijah? This is important because this was a hint of what was to come. And as I read this story, I just see there was a there was a place in Elijah's heart where his fear and his anxiety had taken root and it showed itself. It manifested itself in him saying, I'm the only one. I'm all alone in this fight for God. I'm the only one still standing. Why is that important? You see, because fear feeds a scarcity mentality, while faith feeds an abundance mentality. Fear says and anxiety says, I'm the only one. There's no one else that's going through this. There's no one else that's experiencing this. There's, there's never enough money. There's never enough time. There's never enough energy. There's never enough connections. There's, there's always someone else who did it first. So because they did it first, then I can't do it at all. Because they were successful, then I can't do it. Because there, there's already so many businesses, I can't start my business. Because there's so many podcasts, I can't start my podcast. Because there's so many ministries, I can't start that ministry. There's only so much success to go around. There's only so much influence and impact that can go around. There's only so much. And that fear within us says, no, 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 there's, there's never enough. It's a scarcity mentality. While faith on the other side that says God is a God of abundance. He wants to fill our lives to overflowing. He wants to use us and make an impact. And we're going, well, well, well that must be for somebody else. That's for those people because we obviously both of us can't do that. Both of us can't live on mission and have an impact. And it feeds this scarcity 
mentality. And it just shows us what we're going to see in a few minutes of what happens in Elijah's life. Fear and anxiety had a stronghold in his heart. And as he's standing in front of the people, he can't hide anymore. It just slips out. I'm the only one. There's nobody else. So back in the story, Elijah sets up a, a test. They set up two altars with, with two uh, bulls on each one of them. And the test was whichever God is real must burn up their specific altar with fire. No one can touch it. Nobody's lighting it on fire. Like the gods have to show up and do it. So whichever one does it, the God, the one true God, Yahweh, if he does it, then he's the true God. If Baal does it, then fine. We'll go that direction. So the prophets of Baal, they, they take over, they go first and they're dancing before the altar. They're doing the Cupid shuffle, like they're doing everything they can. They're jumping up and down, they're screaming, they're making all kinds of noise. They, they eventually get to a point because nothing was happening. They start cutting themselves, they're bleeding all over the place. And Elijah just starts making fun of them. He's like, hey, maybe you should be a little bit louder. Like maybe you should, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe Baal went to the restroom. Like maybe he's just out, he's busy. He, maybe he went on a long trip and he just, he's just not present at the moment. Leave a voicemail. Let us know when you get back in town, we'll call you. Like he's just giving them the business and it's, it's hilarious. And finally they, they tire themselves out and Elijah's like, enough. Out of the way, it's time for me to step up and for God to show up. And, and so Elijah goes to the extreme. He goes and he, he grabs these huge jars of water and, and they start dumping water on the altar, like to make it even more difficult for God to set this sacrifice on fire. It's drenched in water. And so it, it comes to this point, he steps up, he begins to pray and, and he says this in 1 Kings 18. The time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. You have done all of these things. I've done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people would know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. It also licked up the water in the trenches. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. It's a victory. Like, I mean, this is the Disney movie ending, right? Like the flowers, the music, it's, it's amazing. They win. What happens in the, the verses following that? It's not pretty, but I mean, they kill all the prophets of Baal. It's this decisive victory. It should be a mountaintop moment for Elijah. Everyone's cheering. Except Elijah. We turn the page and something really crazy happens. First Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me. You mean the gods that didn't show up, the ones that aren't real, the ones that just lost the battle? Okay, but may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was... Afraid. 
and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. He goes alone a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. He says, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Up until this point, Elijah had been the, the picture of spiritual courage. And here he is, he has a breakdown right in the moment when Israel needed his, his leadership more than ever before. They're going to abandon the God of Baal, finally. They need your wisdom and your direction on how to follow God the, the right way. And not only does he run away from this moment, not only does he have a breakdown in it, but he, he becomes suicidal and he says, God, I'm, I don't, not only am I done serving you, I just want to die. Just take me home, Lord. I'm out. I have nothing left to give. How could the same dude who just defeated thousands of other prophets and, and called fire down from heaven, he broke a three-year drought that was in the land that God showed up and, and miraculously brought rain. Like, how can he find himself at this level of a breakdown? Truth is, anxiety promises protection. But eventually, it just erodes our ability to hope. You see, anxiety promises us this protection. If, if you stay anxious, if you stay ready, this, this fight or flight mode, if you just stay in that mentality where you're always on guard and you're protecting yourself and you're, you're always worried about the other shoe dropping and, and the situation's going to turn bad and, and I'm, just, I'm just keeping my eyes open and I'm ready to go. If you stay in that mode, you'll be protected. That's what anxiety tells you. But in reality, all it does is it erodes your ability to hope. We allow our performance on the outside to mask what's being destroyed within us. We, we can go through the motions. We can say the right words. We can, we can even produce. We can still produce at the level as your job and your relationships. You can still be and seem like you're all together, but on the inside, you're slowly eroding and that anxiety is taking deeper root and that fear is gaining more control and you're believing the lie that anxiety is going to protect me from being hurt again. It's going to protect me from someone blindsiding me again. It's going to protect me and, and guard me from ever having that same thing that happened to me that hurt me so bad. It won't ever happen again if I just stay on guard and I'm staying with my eyes open and I, I'm ready for anything. Nothing's going to catch me off guard. The reality is just like Baal falsely promised provision and, and freedom sexually, anxiety and fear promises that it'll protect us from things that it has no power to protect us from. And in turn, the more we lean into our anxiety, into our fear, the quicker our ability to hope for the future becomes. The quicker our hope in our relationships erodes. The quicker our hope for humanity erodes because we're stuck in this place. And all of a sudden, one tiny threat sends us running, broken, 
and hopeless. This hit me really hard. At the beginning of this year, I was out for a walk listening to a podcast, and this guy was on there that I'd never heard of, and he was, he was talking about how he had gone through his life trying to prove himself, and he was achievement-driven, and he was trying to do all of these incredible things, and he had all these degrees and all of these things, and trying to just prove his worth. And all of a sudden, as he's taking on all of these different things, he finally hits a point where he has this, like a mental breakdown. And he says as he's walking through this, he, he discovers this doctor, this psychologist, who specializes in cumulative trauma. And he's like, I, I didn't know anything about it, what it was. And as he starts to unpack this picture of what cumulative trauma is, I'm literally like walking up Kuyamaka and I just start bawling because everything he's saying is starting to resonate with me and, and, and understanding what's been happening in my own life and what's been happening in my emotions and, and how I've been responding. And it, it's this reality. Cumulative trauma is, is the reality of little pebbles of pain being dropped into the backpack of our life every day, every year, weighing you down over time. The doctor that he found says it this way, trauma is so much more than the single bad event. Trauma is also neglect. It's not being seen. It's experiencing hard things alone or any other experiential or environmental stressor that causes your body to take over and react for you using its primitive response system. That response system is that fight or flight, staying in that mode. Trauma can be big or small, and it can accumulate over time. And I started to think about my life because when people would talk about anxiety and they would talk about trauma, I'd be like, well, that's not me. I mean, my parents stayed together. They, they had a good marriage. Like, we, we were never rich, but, like, we never missed meals. Like, God was faithful. I had a family who, who loved me and supported me. Like, that's not me. I would never associate my childhood and, and my history with trauma. But as I start to understand this better and research and learn this better, this idea of cumulative trauma, I didn't realize that I had been accumulating these little pebbles of pain over time. This, this pebble were, were being dropped in, this, this, this little pebble or two of feeling that I have to prove my worth to people. These pebbles of, of feeling that, that feeling of insecurity that I'm nobody from nowhere. The pebbles of, of moving deeper into the, the South and realizing that my, my skin color and, and the way my, my eyes are slanted, it, it confuses people and, and it makes them say really ridiculous racist things to you for years at a time and, and not think anything about it. And not realizing that it's just these little pebbles building up, these, these pebbles of feeling like, like, I'm just nobody. Will I ever have any worth or value to, to somebody's life? And then on the flip side, being told, hey, Danny, you're special. God has this great thing in store for your life. You're going to accomplish great things. And then feeling the pressure to perform. So I have this, this two totally different things where I feel like I'm nobody from nowhere, but also, hey, you better not suck because you're supposed to be special. And all of these pebbles are building up in the backpack of my life. And so when it finally hits a point of, of what I would consider true trauma, as my dad dies on the other side of the phone, as I'm driving to him, as he's having a heart attack, 
when that brick, when that big rock drops in the backpack, I broke. And I didn't understand. Like, I, I knew that losing my dad was a massive deal, but why did I break the way that I break? Why, why, did, why did I experience all this stuff? Why am I dealing with symptoms of massive trauma? It's because my backpack was full of pebbles. And the loss of my dad was that one last big rock that dropped in that finally broke the camel's back. And I wonder if for you, you're experiencing the same thing, that there's this buildup in your life of all these moments of trauma, these moments of heartbreak, these moments of pain, these, these small moments that left unchecked, that are left ungrieved, that are left unprocessed, that are left unhealed, eventually, because you're still carrying all those little pebbles around, there's gonna be finally that moment that comes that breaks you and it's gonna feel like it's out of nowhere. I've been carrying all this stuff and it finally took its toll when I broke. And there's still moments as I'm on this healing journey that I still feel like I'm breaking. And I have to give the Lord access to begin to heal that. Why? Because the Apostle Paul encourages us in Philippians 4. He says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I read those words and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, great, Paul. Yeah, you got it. Just just rejoice. Just don't be anxious. Oh, why didn't I think about that? Just don't be anxious. And it, it makes you want to be like, you know what? How about we be pen pals? How about I tell you about my situation? Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about my baggage. And, and then you tell me how I'm supposed to rejoice and celebrate in those things, Paul. Where, where is this letter written from? Let me write one back. This is, this is written from the central prison in Rome. Paul is writing these words with the understanding that at any moment, the guards were gonna walk through the door and say, today's the day that we finally get to cut your head off for preaching about Jesus. And I can imagine Paul in every moment that he has, he's writing these letters to the churches that he's planted. He's, he's writing this encouragement. He says, hey, I should be filled with anxiety. I should be filled with fear. But you know what I'm doing instead? I'm turning my attention to God because I am anxious for nothing. Because his peace that surpasses all understanding is there and it's guarding my heart and it's guarding my mind. It's removing this fear. And that's why I say to rejoice. In the verses following, it's why he says, hey, set your attention, fix your thoughts on those things that are good, that are holy, that are worthy, that are admirable, that bring glory, that are excellent, that bring worthiness and praise to God. Those are the things that I want you to Fix your thoughts on so that your anxiety no longer has place in your life. 
as we land the plane today, I want to tell you about how God responds to Elijah's anxiety and fear. Elijah travels to this particular mountain called the Mountain of God, and he hides in a cave. And God shows up in this powerful way, and, and he says to Elijah, he says, hey, hey, bro, what are you doing here? Like, what you, what's going on? Why are you here? And Elijah just lets him hold it. He unleashes everything. I have been working hard. I have given everything. I've been all over this country. I've been running from kings. I have been giving. I've been sharing. I have done everything, and you have left me alone, God. I am the only one left, and I am done. I am out. I have nothing left to give. God wraps him in his presence, and, and he whispers to him, and he says in 1 Kings 19, verse 15, go back the same way you came and traveled to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrived there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram, then anoint Jehu to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha to replace you as my prophet. Verse 18, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. I love how God says, God says, go back the way you came. But go back with the understanding that I'm still sitting on the throne. Go back to that place of anxiety and that fear. And you remind it that I have been working in the background to prepare the kings that will replace the evil ones that are there. That I've been working in the background, Elijah, to prepare your replacement, who will be my spokesperson when you're taken away. Hey, and just so you know, I got 7,000 other jokers who have never bowed their knee to Baal. So would you like to remind me again of how you were alone? Because Elijah, I've been good, I've been faithful, and I want you to go back the direction that you came, but I want you to go back with a different perspective. Because this is the truth. You cannot change your story but you can change the source of your perspective. You can't change your story. As much as I desperately wish you and I could travel back in time and remove that trauma from your childhood, remove that pain, change the fact that a person who was supposed to love you and protect you didn't, as much as I wish I could go back and change it, I can't but you can change the source of your perspective. And the God who loves you can give you healing and peace that surpasses all understanding. Because the enemy of your purpose wants you to believe that you're alone. He wants you to believe that, that the best thing that you could do is, is hold on to this baggage for a little bit longer because it'll protect you. But the reality is the anxiety that you're carrying the anxiety is actually a signal. It's not the source. The world around us, we're trying to treat anxiety. But the reality is anxiety is just a signal waving a flag saying, hey, there's a wound here that needs to be healed. Anxiety isn't the thing that has to be healed. We need to get to the source. The anxiety in our hearts and in our lives, the fear is pointing to the fact that there's something that needs to be healed deeper within us. And the only person who could heal it is Jesus. He's the only one. 
The truth is that your baggage, friend, is not helping you. The truth is your baggage is holding you back from the future that God wants for you. It's holding you back because there's a wound that needs to be healed. I want to leave you with one last challenge from Hebrews 12. It says this, As for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us, who leads us forward into faith's perfection. And I love these words. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and he conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross because the joy that was before him the end goal, the finish line, the hope, the thing that pushed him through the pain was the fact that one day he would get to be in a relationship with you. That one day he could come in and heal those wounds that pierced us and remove those sins that we easily fall into and remove that anxiety and remove that fear because the peace that surpasses all understanding would be yours in a relationship with him. So we end today, I want to challenge you to write down this phrase. I want this to be a statement that you put somewhere, put it on the window in your car. And it simply says, Jesus died on the cross, so I didn't have to carry this. And you fill in that blank. Jesus died on the cross so I didn't have to carry anxiety. Jesus died on the cross so that I didn't have to carry this fear about my future. Jesus died on the cross so that I didn't have to carry the wounds of that relationship of that person who hurt me and traumatized me. Jesus died on the cross so that I could carry hope instead of fear. Jesus died on the cross so I didn't have to do life alone. Jesus, in this moment, I pray for my friends. Jesus, I pray right now in this moment that you would give them the courage that they need to let go of the baggage. There's so many things that we're going to look at and, and ways that we can do this over the next couple of weeks. But Jesus, right now in this moment, we need the courage to say, I'm, I'm no longer believing the lie that this baggage is protecting me. I'm no longer believing the lie that this baggage is something that I have to carry for the rest of my life. Jesus, in this moment, we surrender it to you. We surrender our lives. We surrender our pains. We surrender our shame. We surrender our, our fear. We put it all on you. Because you're the only one who is meant to hold it all so that you could give us the healing and the peace we need on the other side. 
Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.